In our service this morning, we have sung a number of songs that directed our attention and our thoughts to the love of God, which He manifested for us in Jesus Christ. A reason why we have chosen songs like How Deep the Father's Love or uh, And Can It Be uh, is to help us prepare a foundation for our hearts to understand that the call to live a holy life is a call that should be motivated by our gratitude and our thanksgiving to God for what He has given for us in Jesus Christ. The call to live holy lives should flow in the life of the believer, in your life, in my life, out of a heart that is filled with gratitude. This morning, as we look at the third sermon in the series on pursuing, uh, pursuing purity or pursuing sexual purity, we want to that, have that foundation of, of gratitude and love for what, and, and thanks, thankfulness for what God has done for us, for His love in Jesus Christ for us. Now, all physical battles that we might become aware of um, become quickly apparent. It's easy to spot when someone is beginning to fight physically, right? Whether it's an individual fight or whether it is nations beginning to fight and going to war. In such battles, it's easy to track casualties. It's easy to see the strategies. But there are battles that are not so apparent to the physical eye. And such battles are harder to engage in. Uh, the casualties that, uh, of battles that are invisible... The casualties are not as apparent. The dangers are not as easy to spot. There are invisible battles. And the worst part about invisible battles is not realizing that such battles do exist. And we could be losing in those battles because we're not even engaging in them at all. An example of such a battle, an invisible battle, is the battle with lust. And this morning, we want to look at the invis- invisible battle with lust. Would you open God's Word to Matthew chapter 5? We'll be reading just a few words, a few verses, uh, verses 27 through 30. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. And this morning's sermon, uh, we'll begin looking at this passage, but we'll also look at a number of other passages in the Bible uh, to look at what the Bible has to say about the invisible battle with lust. God's word this morning says the following. Matthew five twenty-seven. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right, eye, your right hand causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Amen. This is God's word for us this morning. Would you bow with me, asking God to bless the preaching of his word in our hearts as we hear. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death. We thank you for his resurrection, by which you grant forgiveness of sins to all those who repent and trust in Christ. But Father, we also thank you for what Jesus taught us. We thank you for the way Jesus taught us to follow you. We pray that you would awaken our hearts. And if any of us are, are asleep or unaware of the battle with lust, Father, we pray that you would awaken us. We pray that you would uh, enable us to see the dangers of, of not being aware of the battle with lust. We pray that you would speak to our hearts in a way that would awaken us, strengthen us, embolden us, make us bold in in fighting and vigilant in fighting against the temptations that are 
oftentimes invisible. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts in a way that our hearts would cherish you, would follow you, and would be strengthened uh, to rejoice in what you call us to be and do. In the name of Christ, we pray for his glory and honor. Amen. For the past two Sundays, we have been looking at the theme and the broad theme of pursuing sexual purity. We considered in the first Sunday why sexual immorality is a big deal. And in the second Sunday, last Sunday, we considered God's design for sexuality. Today, we want to close this short mini-series on pursuing sexual purity by considering where the invisible battle for sexual purity takes place. The battle for sexual purity is not limited only to our behavior. It is not limited only to what we do in our actions. The battle for sexual purity begins in the heart. David Pallison said so well, the Bible is always about behavior. But it is never only about behavior. God's indictment of human nature always gets below the surface, into the heart. Someone who is fighting, let's say, the sin of pornography or masturbation may consider that he or she is doing well simply based on whether or not they are resisting to look at porn that week. Certainly refusing to act on sexual immorality is an important battle. But the battle against sexual immorality is not merely a behavioral battle. It's a battle in the heart. You can be winning in the behavioral battles against sexual immorality, but could be losing big time the inner battle. And no one would know. And perhaps not even you yourself would recognize that you would be losing. If we are not vigilant, we ourselves may not be aware of the inner battle with lust and the fact that we might be actually on the losing side of that battle because we don't even engage in it. So let's consider this morning what we learn from Scripture about the invisible battle with lust. We'll start looking at Matthew 5. We'll also look at a few other places in Scripture. If you like taking notes, let me give you the, the four big parts of the sermon this morning. I'll just say it quickly, and then when the time comes, uh, you'll, you'll be able to jot it down. Here's a, the four big parts we're going to cover. Sexual purity begins in the heart. That's the first thing we're going to look at. The second thing we're going to look at is understand the nature of lust. Understand the nature of lust. The third part we're going to look at is consider the consequences of lust. Consider the consequences of lust. And then finally, we'll conclude with six strategies for battling lust. Six strategies for battling lust. Let's look at each of these parts this morning. Sexual purity begins in the heart. Now, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, moves to a different topic in verse 27. And he moves to remind people of the law that they have heard, the law against adultery. In verse 27, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. Do you know where that law comes from? It's from the Ten Commandments. It's the seventh of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus helps us see that sexual immorality is not just a behavior issue, but a heart issue. Look at how Jesus does that. Look at verse 28. He says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, Jesus says, Don't be satisfied if you pass only the outward behavioral mark of purity. Jesus says adultery it's not merely keeping away from the external behavior of, of abstaining from adultery. Lusting after a woman is to commit adultery with her in the heart. In other words, the battle for sexual purity 
takes place at the level of the heart. Now, looking with lustful intent can be translated literally to desire her. Looking at a woman to desire her causes someone to break the command against adultery. The language of to desire another woman echoes another of the Ten Commandments, the last one, the Tenth Commandment. Remember what the Tenth Commandments, how they close the last one of the Ten Commandments? In Exodus 20, 17, here's a Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that, that is your neighbor's. You shall not covet. The Tenth Commandment, the Ten Commandments start with, with a, the first commandment was to worship God and God alone and have no other gods besides God. But end, the Ten Commandments end with this prohibition that engages our hearts, the desires of our hearts. In other words, the worship of God has implications not only for the outward behavior, but also for the inner desires of our hearts. Even in the Old Testament, God has never been satisfied only with outward obedience, with outward behavior. His laws pointed to the need for our hearts to be oriented towards Him, and our desires reveal the orientation of our hearts. So in Matthew 5, Jesus points out that the command against adultery should not be limited only to the seventh commandment. It should also include the tenth commandment. The the command against adultery is not only about external behavior, it's about the internal heart. The battle for sexual purity begins in the heart. And Jesus makes this clear in other passages in the Bible as well. For example, jot down Mark 7, 21 through 23. Mark 7, 21 to 23. And just listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Thirteen items that Jesus exposes and says, where do they come from? They come out of the heart. Where does sexual immorality, where does adultery, where does coveting come from? It comes from the heart. Even if we don't sin behaviorally, we can sin in our affections, in our thoughts, when we desire what God forbids us to have. This means that when we fight for purity, when we seek sexual purity, we must never simply fight only to keep the behavior clean, but to keep the heart clean. When we engage in accountability with one another, and I hope that we do, we want to encourage one another to do, we should ask not merely questions about committing certain outward sins. We should ask also and challenge one another about what affections, what desires we have when we feel that the pool of temptation. When we keep each other accountable in particular sin patterns, talk about what affections or thoughts we have before the temptation or before falling into sin and after as well. Uh, David Paulison says, Sinful acts always arise from desires and beliefs that dethrone God. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a few verses earlier, chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart. doesn't say just blessed are the pure in behavior. Blessed are the pure in heart. It is not the pure in behavior who will see God. It is those who are pure in heart that will see God. The purity that Jesus demands is not a purity limited to what people see. Jesus demands purity where no one else notices it. And that is in the heart. 
So when we find ourselves giving into sin, when we find ourselves battling the temptation of some sort of sexual immorality, do we only grieve the behavior? Or do we also grieve our hearts that desire to pursue that sinful behavior? In other words, are you sorry only for what you did in terms of the external action? Are you sorry and repenting also for the desire that led you towards that particular action? And even if you were able to resist the action, are you grieving for the desire that, that had that pool inside of your heart? Oh, friends, consider that your repentance and grieving over sin should not be limited only to the actions that we commit, but also to the heart that desires the wrong things. So first point, sexual purity begins with a heart. The second point we're going to look at this morning is understand the nature of lust. Understand the nature of lust. The word that Jesus uses for lust in this passage is a word that literally means to desire. Uh, the Greek word epithumeo. Now, the word to desire is not always used in a negative connotation. It's used in a negative connotation here in this passage, but it's not always used with a negative connotation. A handful of times, it is used positively. Let me give you an example. Uh, in the letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1.23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul uses this language, my desire. In this case, we know for sure that the word desire is not a bad thing. It's, it's a good thing. And we see in a few other places in the Bible that desire in and of itself can be good if it's oriented to the right thing, if it's motivated by the right heart. For example, even sexually, there are sexual desires that the, the Bible speaks of positively. Uh, the Bible encourages, as we have seen last week, spouses to have godly passions and desires for each other. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 says, um, Solomon speaks to his son, says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. This is a, a, a command to have desires for one's spouse. It is not merely the presence of sexual desire that is wrong, but toward whom that desire is oriented and what motivates that desire. Because the rebellion of the first couple, Adam and Eve, the entire human race has been corrupted and has inherited a nature corrupted by rebellion and sin. And therefore, many of our desires are corrupted by the sinful nature. And one of the areas of that corruption shows up is in regards to sexual desires. And when the Bible speaks of wrong desires, it often translates the word desire with the word lust. What is lust? It's a desire. But it's not just any desire, because the word desire could be also used positively, as we have said. So what is lust? Lust is an inordinate desire. Lust is an inordinate desire. And most of the time, the New Testament uses the word desire. It is using it in this negative connotation. That's why we see so often the, the phrase or the word lust used. Deepak Reju, in a, in a wonderful little booklet, uh, a 31-day devotional, 31 devotional on fighting pornography, he says he defines lust in this way beautifully. Lust is desire that is disordered and out of control. Lust is desire that is disordered and out of control. In other words, there is a disease in your desire. Now, what causes the desire to be inordinate? Or to be diseased. And, and, and how do we distinguish between godly desires and inordinate desires? If, if the word desire is a, is a neutral word, it can be used positively or negatively, 
then how can we as believers be able to distinguish and discern which is a godly desire and which is an inordinate desire, a, a wrong desire, a corrupted desire, a diseased desire? Well, let's look at a few passages that show us how we can distinguish between godly desires and inordinate desires. One passage is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. Write down the reference. You don't have to turn there, but listen to what God says in his word. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5. The Apostle Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust. Same word. Not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. From this verse, we see two criteria to help us distinguish between godly desires and inordinate desires or lust. The first criteria is lust does not care about the holiness of God or about our own holiness. Lust or an inordinate desire, or desire you know it's inordinate, it becomes inordinate when it just doesn't care about God's holiness or your holiness. Living in lust in this passage is contrasted with controlling our body in holiness. In other words, lust does not care about God's will for us to be sanctified. Sanctification means to be put apart for God's purposes, to begin reflecting God's holiness in our lives in increasing measures. But lust, the desire that doesn't care about that, you can be sure it's, it's on the side of erring in the, in the inordinate category of a desire. A second characteristic or a second criterion to help us discern between godly and ungodly desires is that living in lust is opposite of knowing God. From this verse in 1 Thessalonians 4, we see that Paul not only commands us to abstain from sexual immorality, he commands us not to live in the passion of lust. And then he goes on to say that those who live in the passion of lust are those who don't know God. Like the Gentiles who don't know God. They are characterized by living in the passion of lust. This means that one of the characteristics of those who do not know God is that they live in the passion of their lusts. Friends, have you considered that how you treat your lust is a sign of how well you know God? And have you considered that the way you relate to your desires should always be connected to your knowledge of God? If, if you try to have a separation between what you desire and the knowledge of God, as if those things are two different departments in your life, well, that disconnect is what characterizes Gentiles. And if you have such desires that want to be disconnected from the knowledge of God, well, most likely that desire is in the category of an inordinate desire. The opposite is also true. To know God has the effect of changing our desires. When we know God, the effect of that knowledge of God is that we no, long, no longer choose to let our bodies be controlled by the passion of lust. Have you considered that the way you think about your desires ought to be connected to your knowledge of God? And let the knowledge of God inform and guide you as you think about your desires. There's a third criterion for thinking about godly desires or lustful desires. And the third criterion comes from Galatians 5.16. Paul says there, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The third criterion for differentiating between godly desires and lust or inordinate desires Lust is an inordinate desire because it is governed by self-fulfillment. By the desire to gratify, to be gratified. The desire of the flesh wants gratification. So ask yourself, when you think about, is this desire a lust or a godly desire? Is it trying to gratify your flesh? As one Bible dictionary put it, Lust expresses a deeply rooted tendency in man 
to find the focus of his life in himself, to trust himself and to love himself more than others. Lust, you know it's lust. A desire becomes lust when it is governed by self-gratification and selfishness. And a fourth characteristic of how you know the difference between good and inordinate desires, lust is related to greed and lack of thankfulness. Lust is related to greed and lack of thankfulness. Ephesians 5, 3, the Apostle Paul says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Now, covetousness is greed. Greed is a lust to have more than what God has given you. Greed is an inordinate desire that comes out of a lack of gratitude and thankfulness to God. Friends, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul associates sexual immorality with greed and lack of thankfulness to God. Because both greed and sexual immorality have the same common element, an inordinate desire that comes out of lack of thankfulness for what God has given us already. Friends, do you consider lust to be an inordinate desire? Here's some questions that you can ask yourself as you examine your desires. Does this desire fit with the holiness of God? Or is this desire at odds with the holiness of God? Another question, does this desire contribute to my sanctification? Or does this desire lead me away from sanctification? Here's another question, do I have this desire because of some selfish hope of self-fulfillment and self-centered happiness? Do I have this desire because of some selfish hope of self-fulfillment or self-centered happiness? Do I have this desire because I'm not content with what God has given me? Take time and examine your affections and your desires that you have and see whether or not your affections are oriented towards yourself or oriented towards God and honoring Him. So the nature of lust is an inordinate desire. It's inordinate because it does not consider the holiness of God, nor our sanctification. It's inordinate because a desire is motivated by selfish self-fulfillment, and it comes from a lack of gratitude for what God has already given us. Point three, consider the consequences of lust. Consider the consequences of lust. Now, there's two consequences. Lust has immediate consequences to our souls. Lust has immediate consequences to our souls. Where do we see that? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now let me ask you, when do the passions of the flesh wage war against your soul? Is it in eternity? Oh, it'll be too late at that time. It's now. In other words, the passions of our corrupt nature wage war against our souls now. If we allow the affections of our sinful nature to go unchecked, to have free reign. They assault and cause damage to our souls. Have you considered that in your body, your affections and desires, if left unchecked, cause damage, significant danger to your soul? You might say, how? What are the dangers to my soul that these affections can cause? Well, let me just give you a few examples. The lust or the inordinate desires if you let them go unchecked, keep you away from focusing on praising God. Your soul, if it's consumed with a passion that desires to gratify your flesh, is consumed with that passion more than praising God. It causes your soul to grow dull and careless towards the things of God. It, it causes even you to have little or no energy 
to sing to God loudly and joyfully in public worship. Friends, have you considered that when your soul is, is inundated by the cares of this world, even the way we, we sing publicly is affected? It's not whether or not you know the song. It's not whether or not you like the song. If your heart is filled with praise towards God, you will sing loudly. But if your heart is dull towards God, if you come in more like being concerned with your own cares and, and affections for self-gratification, you're not going to sing to God. Allowing lust to grow in your heart chokes out the Word of God. You remember the parable of the, of the soils, the four soils? The third soil is, a, is a, the, the scenario where the seed falls in among thorns. The seed grows, but, but the cares of life, the desires for riches... Desires for riches choke out the word. Inordinate desires choke out the power of the word of God to be fruitful in our lives. Because the soul is more preoccupied with the inordinate desires. Not every passion that you feel inside of you is a godly passion. Some passions come out of the corrupt nature that we have inherited. Such passions are not your friends. They are enemies of your soul. And if you are a Christian, your whole being becomes the arena of a potential civil war in which the passions of your flesh throw assaults, grenades, initiate war against your soul if you let those passions go unchecked. So don't be naive about thinking that any passion inside of you must be good just because you're a Christian. Don't follow your heart. Your heart, even as a Christian, can deceive you if you allow those passions that gratify yourself and your self-centeredness to go unchecked. Develop the habit of examining the nature of your desires. Have a talk with yourself. Take some time to go away from your busy schedule. Figure out some time to just reflect what is this desire that I have in me? Why is it so strong? Is it a godly desire or is it a, an inordinate desire? Friends, lust has immediate consequences on your soul. But there's a second consequence. Lust has eternal consequences as well. Matthew 5, 28, the passage we've read, Jesus makes clear that if we allow lust to go unaddressed, it has eternal consequences. Sin lies to us about its consequences. Sin will never tell you of its eternal consequences. It only brings a promise of immediate benefits. I love how Pastor John Piper preaching on this text said, and you know, there's just, there's something, if you've listened to John Piper, you know, he has a sometimes just piercing one-sentence remarks that just go into the soul. According to Jesus, if you don't fight lust, you won't go to heaven. Now, this sounds radical. And some may say, wait, I thought we're saved by faith, through grace. I believe in Jesus. Why all this talk now about going to hell if I don't fight lust? And Pastor Piper said, this is the great evangelical error today. And this is a quote. This is the great evangelical era of our day. The battle for obedience is optional, they say, because only faith is necessary for salvation. Our response, the battle for obedience is absolutely necessary for salvation because it is the fight of faith. The battle against lust is absolutely necessary for salvation because it is the battle against unbelief. Faith alone delivers from hell. And the faith that delivers from hell delivers from lust. So that we should, we should not think that somehow just, as long as I just have faith, then I can think about my obedience and the fight against lust as an optional thing. Friends, don't separate these. Lust has eternal consequences. Don't treat the battle with lust as a minor optional issue 
in your following of Jesus. It's not just a matter of your maturity. It is a matter of your salvation. If you are a follower of Jesus, consider how Jesus so seriously treated the battle against lust. According to the words of Jesus, your soul in hell is at stake if you treat the battle with lust lightly. Whatever you do to engage in that battle is worth it. So you don't end up in hell. These are not my words. These are Jesus' words. Jesus said it is better, and he's using here hyperbolic language, it's better to lose one of your members of your body, an eye or a hand. Are you following the Jesus who warns us this radically about lust and sin? Or are you following a Jesus who would actually never tell you this? Consider who is the Jesus that you have put your faith in. Finally, six strategies to battle lust. We have seen that lust has consequences, both immediate consequences, battling our souls, but also eternal consequences for the the eternality of our souls. Let's think through now six strategies to battle lust. The first battle, or the first strategy, battle lust by being radical with it. Battle lust by being radical with it. In, in the last verses that we've read in Matthew 5, 29 and 30, Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Friends, the point Jesus makes here is not that you literally cut out your hand or eye. Um, Friends, the point Jesus makes here is to show us how seriously, how radically we must take up the battle against sin and in particular against lust. The radical fight against sin shows up in Colossians 3.5. The Apostle Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And the Apostle Paul in that passage doesn't so much say, cut off your hand. He said, what should you put to death? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Putting to death not only the acts of sexual immorality, but also the evil desires and the covetousness that is associated with it, namely lust. As one pastor put it, sin must be killed, not managed. Don't try to control your sin. Don't try to manage your sin. Kill it. What are you doing in your life to kill lust? Are you seeking to kill lust in your life, or are you passive about it, or finding excuses for it, or even welcoming it, thinking that it's just a way you appreciate beauty? Friends, consider carefully how you deal with lust. Treat it radically as Jesus taught us. Second strategy for battling lust, battle lust by cultivating thankfulness to God. Battle lust by cultivating thankfulness to God. In Ephesians 5, the passage we read earlier, after, after the Apostle Paul speaks to the Christians in Ephesus about uh, abstaining from sexual immorality and from foolish talk and crude joking, then he goes on to say what to replace that with. He says, let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude jo- joking which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. And you might say, thanksgiving, really? Yes. Does it surprise you that thanksgiving is the counteraction to living in sexual immorality or in impurity? Friends, thanksgiving to God When we cultivate that, it will be a means of fighting away and keeping away the desires that are inordinate, that spring up from lack of gratitude of what God has already given us. When you allow sexual sin or lusting to go unchecked in your life, it's a symptom of discontentment 
with what God is giving us. Sin is a pursuit of what you think is better than what God has given you or can give you. If you want to fight off lust, cultivate thankfulness to God. Friends, God has given us His only begotten Son to become incarnate, to take on human flesh, to live in poverty. He lived a perfect life, and yet He was scorned. He was spit upon. He was beaten. He was mocked. And then He was crucified. So that people who are His enemies, people who have rejected Him, could be reconciled to God if they repent and trust in Jesus to be saved. This is the great news of the gospel. This is why we Christians have reason to be full of gratitude and thankfulness to God at all times. If you're not a Christian, oh, I, I want to encourage you to repent and trust in Jesus for your salvation. And God will fill your heart with a spirit of gratitude. And one of the signs that the Lord is changing your heart is that your heart becomes filled with gratitude for what God has given you in Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, repent and trust in Jesus. And God will fill your heart with thankfulness. If you are a Christian, meditate on Jesus. Meditate on the gospel. Meditate on what God has given us in Christ. And your heart will begin being fueled again, rekindled with fresh affections of thankfulness to God. What are you doing to cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving to God. This week, one of our members came into the office, and after talking about a number of things related to ministry details, her eyes began tearing up because of gratitude for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. She had read through a book with another member on the incarnation of Jesus and her heart and mind have been so overflowing with gratitude for the fact that Jesus would take upon himself human flesh with all our limited liabilities and all the limitations and did what he did to give his life for us. And this lady was just filled with gratitude to the point of just tearing up. Oh, friends, when our hearts are filled with gratitude and thankfulness to God, our hearts will have little room for the selfish desires that gratify our flesh. I encourage you to battle lust by cultivating an attitude of thanksgiving to God. A third strategy, battle lust by cultivating your affections for Christ. Battle lust by cultivating affections for Christ. Uh, as Pastor John Piper said it, the way to fight lust is to feed faith with a knowledge of an irresistibly glorious God. Feed faith. Feed your faith with a knowledge of an irresistibly glorious God. Get serious about reading Scripture to see the greatness of God in the Bible. Meditate on Scripture. Memorize Scripture. Study it with others. Read materials that help you grow in, in, in feeding your soul with the glory of God and with, with the glory of Christ. When our hearts are attached to the wrong things, an important way to battle us is to reorient those affections to the right things. As Pastor Reju, uh, Deepak Reju said, reorient our affections to the right things, not in self-fulfillment, but in glorifying God. Not in sex, but in purity. So, my friend, ask God to help you Grow in your affections for Jesus. Pray that prayer regularly. Ask others to pray that prayer for you regularly. And I want to encourage you to pray that prayer for one another, for, for the members of this congregation, that our affections would grow for treasuring Jesus. And I can tell you, I'm pretty sure that when the Lord answers that prayer, one of the side effects of that is going to be that our battle with lust will be stronger. Because when the heart is filled with affection for Jesus, it's going to have less room for being affected by our self-centered affections. Oh, friends, the chief means of fighting for your, or fighting your disordered desires is a growing affection for Christ. 
Deepak Reju, fight fire with fire. Fight the sin of lust with a greater love for Christ. I pray that we would consider that as a strategy. A fourth battle or fourth strategy uh, against lust. Battle lust by living by the Spirit. Battle lust by living by the Spirit. We see that in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Walking by the Spirit means constantly yielding your desires to God. And asking the Holy Spirit to guide you, not just in your decisions that you have to make, but also to discern your, affection, your affections and to replace those affections with godly desires. Recognize that the Spirit of God is in you fighting against your sinful desires. You're not alone in this battle. You're not called to do this battle alone in your strength. The Spirit of God is in you if you are a believer. And the Spirit of God is fighting against those fleshly desires, against the lust. Walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. And you will have the power from God to fight those lustful desires. Number five, a fifth strategy. Battle lust by being honest with others. Battle lust by being honest with others. Where the battle lines are in your soul. Friends, one of the steps in battling lust is to get out of secrecy. Don't fight this battle alone. That's why God has placed us in the church together to be connected, joined together, to care for one another, to be accountable to each other, to watch over each other. And even when one of us missteps and, and falls for the, for the lie and the trap of sin, we can hear of that and desire to respond with, with an attitude of extending a hand to help and reach back out, pull back out. Consider speaking to one another about your struggle with lust. If struggling with the sin of pornography is a battle in your heart, consider reading resources that help you think through carefully about that battle. By the way, the struggle for pornography or the struggle to battle pornography is not just a guy's issue. It's a lady's issue as well. There's a number of resources I want to point you out to. There's a book called Finally Free by Heath Lambert. Uh, the Finally Free by Heath Lambert. The second resource, the, the 31-day devotional by Deepak Reju called Pornography, Fighting for Purity. Uh, there's another book um, on purity written by a lady, for ladies. Uh, come and get that title for me. I don't have it in my notes, but I have it in the office. I'd love for you to know about it. But there's resources available that we can help each other if, we if we're struggling, let's say, with, with a sin of pornography. But it may not be just a sin of pornography that you struggle with. It could be some other sexual-related struggles. These resources help us how to, how to be intentional in fighting. Consider reaching out, dear brothers and sisters, to an older, more mature member of this church to open up and talk about your struggle with lust. Come and share that and talk with the elders. We'd love to come alongside you to help. We as a church want to be a place where anyone who's following Jesus and is battling in these battles for, for purity can find help and support here in the congregation. If you want to grow in knowing how you can come alongside someone who is struggling with these battles, I want to encourage you to consider the upcoming biblical counseling seminar that we're going to offer in a few weeks, the first weekend of November. Pastor Taylor will lead us in a few hours of training how to come alongside one another as we seek to encourage one another to, to battle sin, to sustain each other, to equip one another. We want to equip you to come alongside each other in the battle against sin as we follow Jesus together. So I encourage you to be equipped on how to do that. And a final strategy, final strategy for battling lust that I want to mention this morning is that battling lust is a faith battle for the long run. Battling lust is a faith battle 
for the long run. It's not just a quick fix. It's not just for this short season in your life. You just need to get rid of this thing and hopefully you can put it behind you and not think about it and move on with your life. No, friends, battling lust is a a faith battle for the long run. I love the testimony that Pastor Deepak Reju uh, mentioned in in his devotional, in his 31 devotional on battling pornography. He writes this. It's a longer testimony, but I appreciate it so much. It captures this point well. He said, I know godly, mature men who faithfully serve their churches, but who years ago struggled deeply with pornography. Do you know what I notice about them? He says, consistently, what I see in these men is a growing affection for and commitment to Christ. Sustained gospel contact day in and day out is a normal rhythm of their lives. The gospel is the air they breathe as they pour over the word and beg God for mercy. It's their union with Christ, not their own efforts, that keeps them living by faith. Faith in Christ doesn't leave these men passive or irresponsible. It leads them to greater obedience. Consistently, what I see in these men is vigilance, for the rest of their lives. A white-knuckling approach in which you fight sin solely by your own strength won't get you very far. These men's vigilance is the fruit of a genuine faith. Years removed from the problem, these godly men still maintain transparency with close friends, have accountability software on all their electronic devices, and continue to fight for holy living. Does that surprise you? It shouldn't. In fact, it's a mark of their maturity. They understand the importance of never letting down their guard because they know how sin can ruin their lives. They're well prepared with a word, the Spirit dwelling in them, a good church community, a sober perspective about their sin, and great joy in Christ to run the race to the very end. I pray that God would bless our congregation with such maturity in battling the invisible battle against lust. Friends, we have considered the importance of battling this invisible battle with lust. And we have considered four points. Sexual purity begins in the heart. The nature of lust is inordinate desires. And that the consequences of lust are both immediate and eternal. And then we've considered six strategies for battling lust. Friends, may this kind of maturity and battling the invisible battle of lust become a part of this congregation. I pray that men and women who currently struggle with sexual temptations would be humble enough not to try to resist such temptations on their own. May we be drawn to God's majesty and the beauty of Christ in and in, in, in God's design for sexual purity, may we pursue it for the sake of being a, dis- a faithful display of God's character and beauty. And may we pursue it together as we are united in this congregation, helping each other, caring for each other, praying for one another. May the Lord help us fat battle the battles that none of us may see, yet the Lord sees. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray.